mentioned, we are in John 17, and we're just going to read two verses, 17 and 18. My man. Sanctify them in, in, the, in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so, so, ha, so I have sent them into the world. Good job. Let me pray for us. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your love for us. Thanks for my man Mo right here. Thanks for letting him read. And Lord, we um, can't wait to see all these kids grow up in the trusting relationships with you. And so in the meantime, Lord, we just um, ask for patience and sanctification along the way. Uh, Lord, as we open up the word today, uh, we're going to hear some things that are familiar and yet probably be uh, prompted to do some new things that maybe we've been putting off. Um, Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? Um, say what you need to say into our hearts, and may we respond appropriately as your children. So give us eyes to see, ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts that believe. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you're not allowed to go anywhere yet. Okay, so this is something that we do, we try to do every year uh, on our anniversary Sunday. Sometimes it's usually at lunch, but today it's during sermon time. This is my son Moses. Moses, hello, yeah. He's very shy, so you have to really get him out of his shell. Um, so Moses is exactly the age of our church. He was born three months before we started this thing, and as this church was in the womb in many ways, so was Moses. So every anniversary, uh, we like to put him before everyone and say, look, this is how old we are. Isn't that fun? Like, we're not playing with blocks anymore, but we can't drive yet. Okay, but look, there's some responsibility here. He, he runs the neighborhood on his own um, with a trust from his parents. Um, he doesn't just sit in the backyard anymore. What else do you do? Well, I don't have a microphone. Is there anything else that you do? Um, video games. Video games, right? When we did this before, like when he was four years old, I was like, what's your favorite thing? He was like, trains. And I was like, that's news to me. I didn't realize I need to pay more attention. I'm not that, apparently a good dad. But anyways, he loves Fortnite now, which is different than trains. Um, and so there's just a maturity that comes along with eight years. Now, we're not all the way there, but we're not where we were, okay? And that is the true of Moses, also true of all of us. Okay, my man, love you. Have fun in your class. Enjoy your day. Big hand for Moses. See? Freedom to go. We're going to trust him that he gets where he needs to be. That was not the case some years ago, but here we go. All right, well, we are in John chapter 17. It is the high priestly prayer, uh, but before we get there, we have some exercises uh, to do, ultimately. Um, I want us to see some things. I want us to see, uh, I wrote about this yesterday. If you got through my first sentence of, of, of Babel, you got to actually some decent things. And the things that I want to just kind of put before us, right, if we, leave, if we think about the days, the days sometimes just drag on and are, are, are full of some torture and some torment and difficulty and trial. But when you look at years, man, there's a lot of beauty and grace that can be seen. So I just want to look at some years, right? Um, our very first gathering was on November the 16th, 2014. It was in our living room with 17 adults. And 19 kids. So if you think we've been outnumbered for a while, that's true. We have always had a lot of kids amongst us. We moved uh, to Joy right after that, like two weeks later, uh, on November the 30th. And then we had our very first public gathering right here uh, on April the 5th of 2015. It was our first public gathering. There were 100 people here on that Easter. 
And we got to baptize uh, the guy that's making all the barbecue today, Eddie Cruzel, for the first time. On May 31st, I always quote these uh, attendance numbers, especially for the church planter in the room, wherever he may be. I don't see him, but I'm sure he's in here. There he is. Put this in your little hat. Easter, 100 people, and then we just forgot to take attendance because it wasn't apparently important to us in the beginning. And then the very first uh, non-Easter attendance that we have on record that we set up in Frost Elementary for, we had pipe and we had drape and we had lamps and we had a projector, was for 36 people. Yes! So basically the setup crew set up for themselves and then tore down, and that was a great day. And that's when we knew we were in this together, right there. Uh, beautifully. On August the 9th, we had our very first weekly gathering at Frost Elementary. 70 total people, people were here that did not include me and my family. We were very strategic in how we started the church. We didn't show up on the first day. Uh, don't recommend that, Josue. So, uh, on May 1st of 2017, right before Hurricane Harvey, we surpassed 100 partners for the very first time. On January 27th of 2020, we had the most partners we've had on record when we checked in at 198. If you'll take notice, that was right before the pandemic. Today, currently, we think we're through the pandemic, right? We have 191 partners that call this place their home church. These are the people that are truly making this um, what you all have experienced and love. So thank you all for being a part of this church. When we started, we, um, we just had a handful of people, right? A couple of handfuls of people. But when we started, our hope was truly this, to make disciples who make disciples so that we could plant churches that plant churches. We wanted to make disciples that make a difference right where we are. We don't want to pull you out of the world. We want to send you into the world so that you can make an impact into the lost darkness around us. We, we, we'd gone through church where we were pulling all the Christians out of the world. We wanted to send Christians into the world, into our workplace, into our neighborhoods, into the places where we played, right? We had mantras then, like we would rather have 100 deep disciples than 10,000 attenders. These are the things that, we, that just drove us in the early days. We defined success not as numbers or in numbers, but in a faithfulness to God. We said things like, we will gather on a Sunday only in as much as we scatter on a Monday. These were the things that were driving us, and over time, what we say now, it's been polished over eight years, is that we're inviting all people to follow Jesus in all of life. You hear that on a regular basis now. You hear the hard work going into things like, we exist for Jesus and for good, and at some point, for the bend as well. For Jesus and for good. We, we hear things like this every week. Bring the gospel into your neighborhoods and into the networks and into the nations. These are things that we say over and over and over again. What a beautiful picture that we have grown and matured along the way. So today, I went back and counted, is our 409th gathering. Set up, tear down, set up tear down? What makes it worth it? What makes you do this, you crazy people? What makes it worth it? It, it, it? Those 409 gatherings include 21 live stream only gatherings. Thank you, Matt Peterson and the rest of the AV crew for keeping us alive and into living rooms when we needed to be. 
right? It includes three Ash Wednesdays. It includes seven Good Fridays, eight Christmas Eves, 21 scattered Sundays where we go out into the neighborhoods and we cook breakfast for people. And it also includes two Hurricane Harvey pod sermons. Do you remember those days? Yes. And so I just want to just pause as we get going, right? Thank you to the staff. Thank you to Cassie and Carissa and Aaron. Now that he's gone, that's fine. We'll still thank him for the many years, right? We're, we're grateful for Josue being on staff. We're thankful uh, for, who did I miss on staff? Kristen, right? I mean, just a beautiful uh, group of people that have to put up with me every week. That's in and of itself a worthy of a crown. Um, but nonetheless, like, I just want to say thank you all for doing your work and doing the hard work. Of, uh, of really making the gospel clear in everything that we do. So I'm really grateful for the staff, for the elders that again have to put up with me, but also really good, uh, for the deacons, for the neighborhood group leaders. If you've ever led a neighborhood group, thank you. If you've ever led anything on a Sunday morning, whether you're a serve team leader or not, if you've ever picked up a chair, plugged in a light, uh, fiddled with a switch, cleaned up after a baptistry, set up some really cool colored panels for our kids. Whatever you have done, every effort has made a difference. Brewing coffee, setting up communion, you name it, your efforts have made a difference. So thank you from the bottom of my heart, truly. Thank you. For everybody that has done anything, we are grateful for these last eight years. Okay, I have one last exercise. This is all part of my introduction. We're not even at John 17 yet. Won't be there for a few more minutes, so sorry about that. Also, we have brisket available, so that's fun. You have to wait for that, though. Uh, Eddie just texted me. He said he needs two hours in order for it to get ready, so we're in for the long haul, okay? Um, kidding, he didn't text me that. It was only an hour and a half. Just kidding. Um, all right, everybody stand up with me. Everybody stand up. You're all here. It's our eight-year anniversary. This is fun. If you're able, stand up. This is a beautiful little exercise that I want us to be uh, a part of. I want us to practice gratitude as a church, okay? And the way that I wanted to do this is, is to accomplish a couple different purposes. First, I want to see who's been here for the longest, but I also want to just share some gratitude. I have said this many times um, that for people that have come to be a part of our church in the last year or so, I usually say, find someone that got us through COVID and shake their hand, okay? And then for the people that got us through COVID, I usually go, hey, find someone that was at Joy Lutheran Church and shake their hand. And for the people that got us through Joy Lutheran Church, I usually say, hey, go find someone that started in my living room and just say thank you, maybe a hug. So here's what I want us to do. If, you've, um, if you joined us since COVID, so like when I think, say since COVID, August of 2020, if you've joined us since August of 2020, would you go ahead and take a seat? Look at all the people that joined us since August of 2020. Now, while you're taking a seat, like say thank you to someone that's standing up around you. Because they helped you get here. They helped you get here. Beautiful. Okay, so um, if you have been here far long past COVID, right? If you've been here um, since Harvey, 2017, August, September of 2017. If you got here after Harvey, go ahead and take a seat. And you too should thank someone around you for being able to take it this far. So say thank you, truly. If you've been a part of our church um, since the very first Easter, Easter of 2015, um, um, if, you, if you came after that, go ahead and take a seat. Easter, Easter of 2015, go ahead and take a seat if you came after Easter of 2015. Okay, look, look, look at these. It's, it's dwindling, but there's still a lot of you here. 
Okay, if you, have, if you came after Easter of 2015, go ahead and take a, take a seat. Again, thank the people around you. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. If you were here, yes. This is probably going to be the same group of people, but I'll do it anyways. Um, if, you, if you did not experience a Joy Lutheran Church night, go ahead and take a seat. If you did not experience Joy Lutheran Church with us, take a seat, right? Even more people have now, have now taken a seat a little bit. Again, we should thank you all for, for going through and enjoying those nights. So thank you for all that you've done. Thank them as well. All right, now here's where we're getting down to it. If you did not sit in our living room in the early days, take a seat. If you were not in our living room, take a seat. So we are, we are, look at these people here. Okay, there's like two handfuls here, right? You could, you could add Eddie Krusel and Crystal Krusel into this. There was only two nights, by the way. There was only two weeks where we could do this before we were like, we can't do this in our house anymore. We got to get out of here. So hey, look, all of y'all can then show some appreciation for the sacrifice that all of these have uh, endured. All right, you guys can take a seat. Sorry about a little messiness there, but appreciate you guys participating in that exercise. Like, it started with no more than a couple of handfuls, right? And, and we've become something that I think we all can appreciate on, on one level or another. It's not a perfect place. We're not a perfect people, right? But it all started with, with something small. And it has me thinking, especially on, a, on an anniversary or birthday Sunday, what will the Lord have in store for us for the next eight years? What kind of people does the Lord want us to become for the next eight years or in the next eight years? And if you just dream with me a little bit about that, go beyond numbers, go beyond a building, and think about the inner places of our hearts, the places that Jesus focuses on. And as I think about that kind of a thing, I'm drawn into something far greater, of greater importance when I think about what kind of church does God want us to become? What will we need to do then to become that kind of church that God wants us to become? Um, the staff know this, that I, I kind of dream about this, this, this question that I'm going to float out to you. I've been dreaming about it for a couple of years. That's usually how I work. It has just to marinate in my heart for a little bit before I present it to you. But I wonder what it would be like if every partner that's 15 and over, I wonder what it would be like if every partner that was 15 and over baptized someone in the next five years. What would that be like? Who would you need to become? What would you need to do? That for the, in the next five years, you might be able to baptize someone. Now, baptism isn't the goal. It's just a symbol. It's a picture of the greater goal that you have been living on mission, sharing the gospel, again, sowing generously, that you might reap a harvest when it is ready. And of course, we can just measure it with baptisms along the way. But what would it look like if every partner, 15 and over, set out for themselves a goal that for the next five years, I'm going to baptize one person? I don't care what that means for our church. That's not the point. I do care what it means about the kingdom and God's people being on mission. What would we need to do in order to become that kind of person that cares about that kind of goal 
and that kind of dream. We would need to devote ourselves to some things, right? And indeed, we do devote ourselves to some things as a church. We devote ourselves, or values, we devote ourselves to the apostles' teachings, to the prayers, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and of course, uh, to missional living, just like the early church did. But Jesus simplified it in two things. In John 17, he says two things that his followers would be ultimately that he prayed for. And it was, one, to be sanctified in the truth. And two, to be sent out into the world. So that's my two points today, ultimately, that I hope for us to become a people over the next five years, over the next however many years, that we would be sanctified and sent. First, let's look at sanctified. So if you look at the word sanctified, right, in John 17, 17, he says it plainly. Jesus is praying for his apostles, ultimately for us as well. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. The Old Testament um, equivalent of sanctify is consecrate, to consecrate something. And ultimately, there's two ideas when we get to consecration or sanctification, One, you are set apart from that which brings impurity, and you then are set apart for God's purposes. So from impurity and for God's purposes. This is the twofold nature of consecration or sanctification. Now, if you've got your finger in John, go ahead and keep it there, and then go to the right to 2 Timothy. It goes Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and then all the T's, right? So 2 Timothy, if you don't have it, it'll come up on your screen. 2 Timothy 2, 19 through 22, and I'm just going to read a little bit out of order, but look at what this looks like. We got a good picture of what it means to be sanctified, both from impurity and for God's purpose. 2 Timothy 2.19 says this, but God's firm foundation stands. Now the context here is that there's been people that are in the church that have denied Jesus and walked away from him, and they are basically uh, causing all kinds of damage in the church. And he wants to to bring forth for us an example of what it means to be a, a firm foundation. That's us. God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows who are his. And this is the part I want you to get. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Leave the land of sin behind. It's no longer your home. Consecrate yourselves away from impurity. You might think, well, what does that mean? If you kept reading on down to 22, he gives you some examples. He says, so flee youthful passions. You know the youthful passions. You don't have to be young to have a youthful passion. You could be 90 years old and still dealing with youthful passions, but make no mistake, they are not a mark of maturity. The youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the name of the Lord from a pure heart. Do you see it? Departing from iniquity and pursuing the things of the Lord. He goes on to say in verse 20, Now, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. Now, I'm just explaining here what this all means. The dishonorable um, vessels, the dishonorable vessels that may have been in the household of the first century Jew is uh, not a vessel of gold, right? They're like um, the garbage can 
It's where you put waste. It could also be like whatever they used for a toilet back in the day. So he is, he is putting that before you to say, there's things in your household that are honorable and dishonorable. The dishonorable things is where you put your waste. The honorable things, like a coffee cup in our day, are the things that you would use to put inside of your body, right? So dishonorable, the things that you want to push away from you. Honorable, the things that you want to put inside of you. So you see this picture of getting away from iniquity and pursuing righteousness. And then he says this, right? Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself, you see it? Cleansing himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use. Coffee cup or trash can? That's ultimately what he's putting before us as far as people that follow Jesus. You'll be a vessel for honorable use. And look at this. Set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. That is God's desire for every single person that calls upon the name of Jesus for salvation. Consecrated, set apart. In your kitchen, there are things that are set apart. There are things that are honorable and dishonorable. I've never heard of anybody when I go to their house, first of all, no one ever makes a comment about the the garbage can. Ooh, I love that garbage can. Right? And no one ever says, it's my favorite garbage can. I love that garbage can. But when you go to someone's house, someone pulls out a really cool mug, and they go, I love that mug. Where did you get it? Mercy good. Love it. Right? Or wherever it may have been. And it's your favorite coffee cup because it's earthen. It's earthenware, right? It's your favorite coffee cup. But these are the things that are in our, our kitchen, right? There are different knives in your kitchen, each one consecrated for its own purpose, right? There's, there's the dinner knife. There's the butter knife. There's the paring knife. There's the, the chef's knife. There's the utility knife. There's the bread knife. All of them set apart for a different reason. If you pull up a chef's knife to cut butter, you're lazy or you're like me. Right? You're like, I just, I don't know, I got this knife in my hand. Why don't you go get another one? Let's just do this and be fine. But there are different purposes for those knives. You are the same way. In fact, one thing, ultimately two things that I want you to see for this next year. I want you to see that you are a a scalpel in the hand of the surgeon. You are God's ultimate uh, tool to cut out the cancer of the world, the darkness of sin. But you are that thing that's been consecrated, set apart, away from things that don't matter, and into the hands of your creator to do something significant in the world consecrated, set apart. We do this through three means, ultimately. We're set apart from sin. We're set apart for him. How does God do this? In the new year, we're going to talk about a lot about how God does this. But just as a preview, he does it through God's scripture, right? Doesn't he do this through God's word? It says it right there, if we're back in John 17, it says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. If you look at that, it's not just those scripture. It does include scripture, but it's, 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 it's packed full of meaning. You know, the number one determining factor on whether or not you will become a person of impact, a, a follower of Jesus that actually makes a difference, the number one determining factor, you know what it is? Independent Bible reading. You can come to a growth group and fake it all you want, but at some point it will run dry. You're going to have to pick up the scriptures on your own. And if you don't know how to do that, 
we will teach you. We long to teach you these things. Independent Bible reading is the number one determining factor beyond everything else on whether or not you'll become that person that makes a difference right where you live. So question, what plan do you have to be sanctified, set apart, consecrated through Scripture in 2023? Go beyond your growth group and into some sort of independent Bible reading where you can find some other people. Maybe it is your growth group that help you go through the scriptures in 2023. We are also sanctified in the truth through of God's Son. John 1 says this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God's all-encompassing message that he had for the world to show the world what he was like was through the words and ways of Jesus. What part of Jesus' life does God want you to begin living so that you can become consecrated for his purposes? We are set apart from the pollution of sin and set apart for God's purposes through practicing the way and the words of Jesus. This has got to get beyond just coming, plopping, praying, and paying. It's got to get into practicing the way of Jesus. You and I will not grow so long as we have a childhood image of Jesus in our adulthood. The one that's safe, the one that pats you on the head, just wants you to bounce on his knee. You're, you're, we're not children anymore. And when we take that kind of Jesus into adulthood, we get bored with him and we leave him behind. And instead, God is calling us to follow him, much like the first century disciples followed him. And what did they do? What did he do? You ever read the Gospels and been like, I didn't realize Jesus was that way? I do all the time. Like, he buffeted sailors. He sanctified fishermen. He took tax collectors and made them disciple makers. And the worst people of all that he took into his crew were the good people. The ones that thought they didn't need him. And what did he do? He sanctified them as they followed him. He humiliated their pride. You remember when James and John were like, these people are denying you. Shall we call down fire from heaven? And he's like, are you for real right now? Well, my mom is here, and she says that she, maybe we could have your, you know, the left and the right hand in, in the kingdom. For real, James and John? That happened to the Bible. Right? They, they go on. He humiliates their pride. He rebukes their lack of faith. When he gets into the boat, he's like, why did you have no faith? He rebukes them, doesn't he? He questions their loyalty when he says, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood, and everybody walks away and goes, you guys want to leave? And what do they say? You have the words of life. Where else would we go? We've given up everything to follow you. He questions their loyalty. He demands, like Peter, to not follow the ways of man or of Satan. Remember when he calls his best friend Satan? Right? You remember that? And he clips their ambitions. When they are arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom, he clips that off. And he says, hey, that doesn't belong in the kingdom. You've got to become the servant of all servants if you want to become great. This is what it means to follow Jesus, is to be buffeted, is to be sanctified. It's for all that fleshy stuff in us to eventually be done away with over time. So that then we can be instruments in the hands of our Redeemer. And we become those people because we are not just sanctified through the Scripture and through the Son, but also through the Spirit. Jesus said this in John 16 about the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. 
be led by the Spirit into the truth ultimately means that you are ready to admit you are wrong. Who enjoys that? Those that follow Jesus. It's the practice of confession. It's why we do it in here on a regular basis, to confess our sins unto the Lord in the presence of our friends and in a safe place to remember and to remind ourselves we serve a God of grace, not of merit. What part of your life have you convinced yourself is okay, but in reality is out of step with what the Spirit wants to pull in for himself? What, what, what part of your life is out of order? What good things are you making the best thing, the most ultimate thing? What area of your life needs to be sanctified, cleansed from your flesh, and set apart for God? Is it your calendar? That's the one that gets me. Is it your money? Jesus wants that too. Is it your viewing or reading habits that no one else knows about? Yep, that on HBO Max, that on Netflix, that on Hulu. Is there anything in your life that you've pulled aside and just said like Gollum, it's my precious. That was not like Gollum, but it was close. What have you clung to as mine when Jesus consecrates all of life for him. Sanctified. That's just half of the journey, right? We are then also to be a people that are sent into the world. We're not just sanctified for holiness sake so that we get into a holy huddle and we all just really appreciate each other. That's real safe and fun. But ultimately, God is calling us not just for sanctity's sake to be set apart, but to be a sent people. If you kept on reading in John 17, he would say this, Sanctify them in the truth, consecrate them away from impurity and into God's purposes through the truth. Your word is truth. And then in 18, as you sent me into the world, so now I have sent them into the world. Friends, you are a sent people. All right, so when I say that, I usually say this every week, every year on Anniversary Sunday. And sometimes I get so passionate about it that I want to go back and look and see, like, was that passion or anger? Last year, if you remember, the week after Anniversary Sunday, I had to stand up before everybody and say, hey, I was just really angry about that. I'm really sorry. We're going to try not to go there on sentness. We are going to continue to go there and go, remember that God has, been, has sent us as a people, right? And it's not going to work out. It's not going to be safe. You guys remember the passages that maybe we, we read and go, man, that must have been tough. It is tough if we will cling on to it. Matthew 10, 16. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. That's going to be rough, isn't it? So therefore, be uh, wise as serpents and innocent as, as innocent as doves. This is not going to be a safe journey. You're not going to feel good about it. <laughs> That's why Jesus tells us the end before the beginning. But he nevertheless sends us. At the end of his ministry, when he's resurrected in John 20, not just at the beginning, he says to them again, he says to them when he resurrects and he appears to the disciples, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, so now I am sending you. So here's the deal, right? We are a sent people. We are witnesses. And most of us, many of us, at one point or another in our journey are going to look for excuses as to why that doesn't apply to me. Am I the only one that does this? Sometimes I look at myself and I go, well, you know, I'm an Enneagram 8 and I just come off really strong and we can't be doing that. 
If, you're, uh, if you just use your Enneagram number or your personality or whatever deficiencies that you think you may have so as to say, well, that just doesn't, that doesn't mean me, someone else, surely someone with a microphone or someone with a Bible degree. No, it means you. You're the fisherman. You're the taxpayer. You're the prostitute. You're the one that came into God's family, have been sanctified so that you can be sent out. That is a part of God's plan. And friends, you are a witness. Y'all remember when you were in, uh, in elementary school? Remember those days back in the day? I don't know about you, my favorite day on elementary school day was show and tell. Remember those days? Where you come in and like, I wanted to bring in my, my mice. I, my mom let me have mice as pets. The Lord bless her. She's not in here. She's decided to leave early on the day. Um, but, like, she let me have mice, and I think I wanted mice because my sister down the hall had a boa constrictor that fed it mice. And so I just was like, oh, you're going to do that? Well, I'm going to go the cute route, and everybody's going to like this, like mice are cute. But nonetheless, I wanted to take mice to show and tell because that was, like, the most valuable thing that I had was a couple of mice. And guess what? You are God's show and tell to the world. He is showing himself off through you. You are the means by which you go into the world and he is telling everyone, I am worth a far surpassing number than you'll ever understand as this person bears witness about my worth. Ultimately, he is showing off himself through, to the world through you and me. We are, we are witnesses whether we are good witnesses or bad witnesses, is ultimately up to us. We are giving witness to how much worth we see in the work of Jesus in history. The worth of Jesus in our own lives. And our lives show God's goodness or not to the world. So we are called then as witnesses to be sent, not to blend in, not to build our side hustle, right? Not to build our own kingdom here in the suburbs. No, Jesus was sent not to condemn the world, but to save the world. And we are called to do the same thing. So maybe you assume the best in your neighbors, right? That they're all just good, uh, you know, good Christian neighbors. Maybe you assume the best in your neighbors. Can I help you with that? Can I help you with the assumption of our neighbors? I want you to just see some things. 15 years ago, America identified as 78% Christian. In 1972, we identified as 90% Christian. Okay, are you getting this? 50 years ago, we're 90% Christian. 15 years ago, we're 78% Christian. In 2022, we identify now as Americans as 64% Christian. In the last 15 years, it was 16% that identified themselves as none or no religious affiliation, that has nearly doubled now to 30% of our population. If current trends continue, by 2070, and you're thinking, well, that's a long ways away. I won't even be here for that. But our kids will be here for that. By 2070, uh, America will only identify as 39% Christian. I want you to think about the kind of culture that will create. It will be 48% no affiliation and those are conservative numbers when you look at all of the different variables. Today, right now, there's been one study that says 27% of Richmond, Texas 
says that they are Protestants. 27%. And 60% are not affiliated with any religion. These are our neighbors. 27% identifying as Protestant Christian. 60% not affiliated with any religion. And 100% of lost people go to hell. Did y'all know that? 100% of them. There's not an iota that don't go. And the same can be said for all of us that follow Jesus. 100% of us will see him in glory and bow down and worship him. 100% though of lost people will not. If you couple, couple religious trends with population trends, this is the greater Houston statistics quoted by the Houston Church Planning Network just a few uh, weeks back. The 2021 population in the greater Houston area is 7.2 million people in 21. Seven point, if you thought the traffic was bad, it's because 7.2 million people live here. Uh, there are only 4,800 4, churches in the greater Houston area, of which we are one. That's a ratio of one church to every 1,500 people. In 2050, it is projected that the population in the greater Houston area will be 12 million people. Now, some of you just heard that and said, let's move. Okay, that's, that's one way to deal with the, the population growth. However, it won't make a dent in the darkness. We've got to engage because we will need to keep the same ratio of one church to every 1,500 people. We will need to, 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 to grow to 8,000 churches in the greater Houston area. So if you want to know why we're sending Josue out, why the pains are going, why uh, the, the, the Evans are going, why the Monterosos are going, why Sanchez 2.0 are going. Because we need more churches, multiple, multiple churches to keep up with just the population growth, much less the disaffiliation with any non-religious group. It's a double whammy that we better get on board with or we're going to reap the consequences, or better yet, our kids' kids are going to reap the consequences of being someone who is sent is not mission impossible, y'all. It's just simply doing life with mission intentionality. It's playing with your kids, but doing it in the front yard. It's going to the ball game, but engaging instead of sitting off to the side, engaging into conversations that start off like, you know, just surface, go into something significant, and ultimately lead into something spiritual. It's working diligently and honestly at work, but when they ask you to work seven days a week, you say, no thank you. Jesus calls me to rest at least 24 hours a week, and I do not value this paycheck more than I value Jesus' word. When they silence you in the classroom, yes, the classroom. When they silence you in the, in the boardroom or in your cubicle, and you say, that kind of talk is not welcome here, will we speak up? Share the hope that we have valuing Jesus over the security of a paycheck. Will we also share resources and continue to create a safe place in our home? Will we invite the politically opposite of yourself? The one that's gender neutral, the one that's been twice divorced, the one that's been subject of all the neighborhood gossip. Will you let them into your home? Share a meal with them. Share a story with them and ultimately the truth of the gospel. 
Friends, you are a sent people. So as you go into 2023 and you think about all the coincidental acquaintances that you've made this year, think about, but did God send me to those people? How does it change the relationship with those, with those people, those friends, those acquaintances, those people that you do soccer with and softball with and wrestling with, and all the neighbors are around you or the people that are next to you in the, in the cubicle or in the classroom? How does it change the nature of the relationship when you think, but God sent me to them? Can I bury my head in the sand of convenience or of embarrassment or insecurity? Or will I be a sent person with the compassion of Jesus? Rooted in prayer to try and figure out, Lord, I don't know how to do this. But, oh, Holy Spirit, help me say what needs to be said in the time that it needs to be said, the tone in which they can hear who's saying it. Sanctified and sent. Not sanctified and then sent. That's the great trap that we think, oh, we're just not ready yet. No, it's, it's, it's sanctified and and your sent, both and, not either or, and not one, and then the next, that we would be a people. If we're going to baptize someone in the next five years, if you're a partner here and you're thinking, well, that's a lot to ask, it's five years. Isn't this what God called us to do? To make relationships with those that, that need it and to be sanctified for these purposes, sent out as witnesses. If you are to baptize someone in the next five years, what do you need to pursue in this next year to become the kind of person that is sent out into the world? Ask the Lord two things. What part of my life am I holding back that you want to use? And Lord, whom are you sending me into 2023? To whom are you sending me in 2023? What am I holding back? And to whom are you sending me? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for sanctifying and sending. We're all in this room because someone else was sanctified, cut away the impurities in their life, put their hands into the life, put their life into the hands of their God, and then were sent out. As God show and tell to the world about how great he truly is. Someone else took this call seriously. That's the only reason why we're here. Why we care about Jesus. That was, that was the testimony of Stella. That was the testimony of Kara this morning. That my dad or my parents or my pastors or my sister or my brother or whomever it was just continued to show me the way. That they, they took it on themselves to be sanctified, to be set apart. And then they were sent to their own families and didn't even know it. They just were doing what was natural to them because they'd been consecrated. So Lord, put it in our hearts to pursue these things. Let's not wait until next year. Let's do it today. Let's be consecrated. Let's be sent. Holy Spirit, help us in these things where we want to fail and shrink back. Remind us of the call of our neighbors, the need of our neighbors. May we be compassionate like Jesus. May we be soaked in prayer like Jesus. 
and maybe be sent like Jesus. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Hey, let's stand and sing together.